So uh, we're going to be reading from Matthew 14, 13 through 21. Um, if you could rise for the reading of the word. Uh, we're going to be looking at Jesus' motivation. What motivated him to uh, do what he did? What was his motivation? We're going to look at that as we go through. And we're actually going to start a little later and come back to the beginning. So let's look at Matthew 14, verses 15 through 16. When it was evening, his disciples came to him, saying, This is a deserted place, and the hour is already late. Send the multitudes away, that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. But Jesus said to them, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. All right, let's uh, pray together. Dear Lord, we praise you and thank you. We thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that your word does not come back void until it accomplishes what it's set out to do, Lord God. I ask that your word would, be, would, would go out, Lord God, and touch our hearts and move in us and have your way this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So the question I want us to look at this morning is, uh, what moves you? What motivates you? Really be thinking about what moves you, what motivates you. We're talking spiritually speaking. Um, what moves you to follow after the Lord? What, what, what motivates you to, to follow what God has called you to do? Uh, we're going to be talking about a famous story, Feeding of the 5,000. And we're actually going to look at the end of the story and then go back to the beginning of the story to see the motivation Jesus had to do what he did. And we're also going to look at some other scriptures that talk about that same motivation and how it could apply to our lives. So that's kind of where we're going. Uh, So let's read again what I just read, but we'll read it again because this is the beginning point that I want to start from. Uh, When it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, This is a deserted place, and the hour is already late. Send the multitudes away, that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. But Jesus said to them, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. There's some facts we should know about what's going on here. Um, They're in a deserted place. Jesus is teaching in a deserted place, wilderness area. All these people, multitudes, thousands of people are crowding around him to listen to him, to be healed. Um, And it's later on in the day. In order to get back before dark and get some food, they need to be on their way. And so Jesus is speaking uh, to his disciples here. And in Mark chapter 6, it gives us a little more detail um, that I want to refer to from the story. It has a story again in Mark 6. So it says, Mark six thirty-seven. But he answered and said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? So the disciples are using logic here. There's tons of people. It's getting late. They need to feed them, right? Jesus is saying, You guys, you guys got this. You could feed them. Um, Jesus, did you notice there's thousands of people? Um, it would take 200 denarii worth of money. Most of you are like, I don't know, what's, what's that, $2? Like, what, what's 200 denarii? It's about a half year's wages. So if you do the average American, I don't know what they make, but if you were to cut that in half or take your salary, cut it in half, that's what it costs to feed thousands and thousands of people. That's a lot of money. It's like, Jesus, we can't do this. We don't have the money. Jesus wants us to do it. That's, that's a little crazy. Jesus has a different mode of thinking. He's like, you got this. I trust you. All right, let's see, let's see what happens next. So the disciples say, uh, and they said to him, 
we have only five loaves and two fishes. So they're saying, okay, we have to feed them. Let's go find out what kind of food we have. So they ask around, and all they get is uh, five loaves and two fishes. And these are probably more like sardines, like, you know, really tiny fishes. And the loaves are, you know, about yo big. So I don't know about you, thousands of people. I mean, maybe if you, you know, make some, make bread crumb out of it and everybody gets a crumb, you know, it was a miracle. They were all full on a crumb. No, no, it doesn't work that way. But, but that's the, you know, they're saying we can't do it. This is impossible. You know, and, and Jesus, it seems to be, to the disciples, it seems like Jesus is asking them to do something impossible. You know, and, and sometime in our Christian walk, it feels like uh, we're motivated and, and, and doing what God's calling us to do seems impossible at times. Um, like Jesus is calling me to follow him, but I keep failing. I keep trying and I keep failing. It, uh, this, this grand scheme of what I'm supposed to be and I'm just not that. And maybe you feel like disciples and it's possible. Um, maybe you feel like God, God is calling us to obey his commands and no matter how hard I try, I can't be perfect. I keep trying and trying and it just seems impossible, but God has called us to obedience. It's like Jesus is asking me to feed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fishes. Like, it's just, I, I, just, I just can't do it. And no matter what, it, what ideas I come up with, it doesn't work. You know, maybe your spiritual failures are motivating you to give up. You know what? I just keep messing up. I'll just kind of, there's no point. And just, the motivation is to give up and not to keep going. Uh, maybe the trials and difficulties in life get you to a point and uh, motivate you. They say, you know what, God, God's not really going to work in this situation. It kind of leaves you apathetic and kind of mediocre, and, and you kind of coast through life. Saying, oh, I'll go to church, and you know, there's a God, but he's not going to work in my situation, so I'll just kind of go through it. So it, the motivation is, there's lack of motivation because you're not expecting anything. Or maybe you've seen God work in the past. You've seen him move in the past. And you're holding on saying, you know, God's going to work again in the future. He's faithful then. He's going to be faithful now. Or maybe you're motivated to move by God. That you're motivated by his love. That how much he loves you and cares for you. You're motivated to obey and to follow. No matter what the, the situation or the motivation God's still at work. God is still moving. God loves you. And he's at work in your situation. If you're stuck, I'm going to encourage you to keep going. Hopefully by the end of the message, you'll see, you'll be encouraged to keep following after the Lord and see him work again. All right, let's continue in this passage. We'll look at verse 18. No. Oh. He said, bring, me, bring here to me. Jesus is speaking to the disciples about the fish and loaves. He said, bring them here to me. Then he commanded the multitudes to sit down on the grass. And he took the five loaves and two fishes, looking up to heaven. He blessed and broke and gave the loaves to the disciples. The disciples gave to the multitudes. They all ate and were filled. And they looked up, 12 baskets full of fragments that remained. Now those who had eaten were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Now Jesus asked the disciples, bring the five loaves, two fishes to me. And he takes it and he lifts it up to God and he thanks God for it. And then he breaks it up and he has, they each had a basket and he puts some in each basket. 
And he, and he has them go out. I'm sure the disciples are like, I mean, I don't know about you. If you divided a, a little fish into, you got two of them, so six and six, so you get 12. So six pieces of fish, you know, a little chunk like that. Here you go. And if you have five loaves, it's a little less than half of a loaf, and a loaf is about this much, so that's what you get. You get a little chunk in this, and go ahead. And they're just like... And I, I bet what would happen, I, you know, this is me and my imagination, because God multiplied it, and he fed over 5,000 women and children. Uh, and, and, and so they probably looked up, and then they looked down. And so, like all of a sudden, there were so many in there, like, how do you do that? They're like looking back at them and they're handing. And as they're handing, I don't know if you see the, you know, those pictures of cartoons with the bread rising and it just, it just keeps going and going and going. It's almost like as they're handing out, it's just, oh man, got to go, got to go, got to go fast. You know, and hand it all out. I don't know how God did or what he did, but he obviously multiplied it. It said that they were full. It didn't say like, oh, that crumb was great. I'm still really hungry. No, they ate and they had their full. God did a miracle. He multiplied the fishes and the loaves. And he did that. And it was, it was interesting, even in this situation where God is blessing, you know, he's saying thanks for the fishes and the loaves. You know, to, to us, it'd be like, that's not enough, God. But, you know, sometimes we got to find things to be thankful for to the Lord, even when it doesn't seem like enough. And we're like, Lord, I thank you for this. And you know what happens when you start thanking the Lord in those situations? He'll bless you more, yes. You'll be filled with his peace. You'll be like, I'm going to trust you, God. Thank you. And it changes your perspective. It actually changes your motivation as well to keep going. But, you know, sometimes we get kind of stuck on ourselves and stuck on the situation and we get like tunnel vision on everything's going wrong. But we start saying, thank you. We're like, okay, God, thank you, God. Why you give me this, this, this? Why didn't even realize that? Wow, and thank you for this and thank you for, oh, this is okay. You know, and it just changes things. And so Jesus gives us a simple thing. It's five fishes, five loaves and two fishes. Thank you, Lord, for the little bit you give me. And what did he do? He multiplied it. He multiplied the situation. He was at work. It's almost like we gave him permission to work with our gratitude. What's interesting here, it's not just 5,000 people. It says in verse 21, now those who eaten were about 5,000 men besides women and children. So in that day, they just counted men, and it was about 5,000. So if figure if they're with their wives and children, and there's some independent ones, individuals there, you at least got 10,000. So probably more than 10,000. But feeding 10,000 people on five loaves and two fishes, that's pretty good. It's pretty good. Um, you know, I, I, I love it. I lo- love what Jesus does. You know, it doesn't take much. You know, it just takes a little bit of faith, a mustard seed of faith to believe, and God could do bigger things. It takes just a little bit of five loaves and two fishes, trusting that this is it, but I believe God's going to do something. That's all the faith you need. And he'll multiply it, and he'll move, and he'll work in that. So what moves you? What motivates you? To keep going, it may just be that little bit of faith at that moment. Say, you know, I'm going to trust God. He worked there. He's going to work again. I'm going to trust that he's going to do it. Maybe it's those times of thanksgiving and gratitude that help motivate you to keep your perspective that God is faithful and he's going to keep working. That even in the situation doesn't seem great, God's going to help me through it. 
So we saw the end of the story. Now let's jump to the beginning to see why Jesus did what he did. Why did he multiply the fish and the loaves? Just because he's like, hey, I want to show you guys some fun. You know, why, why was it? Let's go see. Go back to verse 13. When Jesus heard it, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. So Jesus just heard something. He just heard about uh, King Herod beheading uh, John the Baptist. Right? That's the message he heard. He said, John the Baptist was just killed, beheaded by Herod, and he took his disciples and said, let's go. And so they went to a deserted place. We don't know why he went. Could have been for a time of grieving. It could have been. Maybe it was a time that they needed to, he needed to seek the Lord with his disciples. Maybe it was a time when he was going to reveal that he would also be killed, uh, crucified and then killed, and then rose again on the third day. We don't know why he went, but he took his disciples and he went with them. And it's interesting, um, even when Jesus tries to get away and refocus, people still followed him. And he couldn't get away, even in his grief. He's still going, and he needed to, but he needed that refreshing time. And we see other scriptures, I'm not just picking here, but other scriptures, that Jesus got alone with the Father. So whatever your circumstance, whatever your situation, that is a key part. We need to be alone with the Father and get with him and seek him and be restored and renewed by him. So let's keep going. Verse 14. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them, and he healed the sick. So Jesus went out, the multitudes followed him, and when he saw them, what does it say? He was moved with compassion. This is his motivation. This is what moves him. And, and, and the word compassion here in the Greek, it talks about um, to have one, one's inner being stirred to see the situation, and just to be so moved to do something out of love. Your inner being is, so Jesus saw the multitudes. He saw they were sick. They saw they needed healing. They saw that they needed him to teach them. And his inner being was stirred with compassion out of love for them. And then after that, he feeds the 5,000. That is because his inner being was stirred and moved for them, that they would be hungry, that they would go back and not have any food. So he was so stirred by that, he couldn't help but doing it. We see his motivation, his compassion, his love for them. That's what he saw. It wasn't for anything else, but his love for people. Gives us a picture of God, who God is, and how he loves us, and how he cares for us. And he, when he sees us, his inner being is stirred for us. So don't doubt that your situation, God doesn't see me, God doesn't care, God doesn't love. No, no, that's not the God we know. You know, he sees your situation, and his inner being is stirred for you. He is moved to action for you. And you may feel that you're left alone and that God doesn't care, but I want to tell you that God cares for you. Run to him. And sometimes there's bigger things that I cannot explain why God doesn't work the things in the way we want it to be worked out and the situation to happen as we want it. But God is in that, and he sees your brokenness, he sees your pain, and he loves you. And he wants you to run to him to receive healing and wholeness. And see that his inner being is stirred for you. What moves you? What motivates you? Jesus is moved and stirred by compassion. His inner being is stirred. 
You know, it's not only in this time that this word is used, compassion. It's eight other times Jesus has mentioned that he used the word, his inner being is stirred in other passages. I'm not going to go through all of them. That would take a lot of time. But I want to touch on some other ones to help us better understand how we also can be moved by compassion that the Lord has given us for others. So I'd like to look at some of those things. And when we understand that, we'll be able to see the need and we will follow what God is calling us to do because it will be motivated by love. It won't be out of duty. It won't be because we should, but our inner being will be stirred for those around us. As we look at this, I want to just preference, we all have brokenness. We all are broken. Sometimes when we look at other people's needs, we're like, okay, I got it together, or at least this, this, this area of my life, I got it together, so I'm going to help you. No. The reality is because of sin and, and, and how sin has broken us, we are all broken. And only because of God, what God has done for us and his love and how he heals us and restores us, we could then, as fellow broken people, point them to Jesus is the one who's going to heal. Jesus is the one who brings wholeness and encourage one another in that. But I don't want us to look it down like, oh, I'm looking, I'm better, or someone else is better and looking down upon us. We're all broken and realize that. So let's look at the first one is material brokenness. In this passage, now this is feeding of the 4,000. This comes a chapter after in Matthew 5.32, now Jesus called his, to his disciples and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And I do not want to send them away hungry lest they faint on their way. And you see, Jesus cares not only for spiritual need, but the physical, the material need. And uh, here is... Um, He's feeding on the 4,000, and he doesn't want them to faint. They've been with him for three days. And I don't know, I don't, usually don't bring food enough for three days. So they're not having eaten, but they're still sticking with Jesus. They're loving what they're hearing, the teaching and all that stuff. Um, he's like, they, I don't want them to faint, so we need to feed them. So his inner being is stirred for their needs to feed them. Now, now some of this, when people see this, well, isn't this the same story? We just, the 5,000, same kind of thing, Right? What's interesting is the first one, what we read, feeding of the 5,000 is for Israel. He does a miracle within Israel in the Galilee region, and he, um, he is there, and he does a miracle for the Israelites to show the power that God has given him. But this feeding of the 4,000 is actually in the area of Tyre and Sidon. It's a Gentile area, non-Jewish area. And he's demonstrating God's power in a Gentile area. So in the same way he healed the blind, the sick, the lame, all of those in the Jewish area, he now needs to, wants to reveal himself to the Gentiles, the non-Jews. So he also heals the sick, makes the lame to walk, the blind to see, and he multiplies the fishes and loaves. Now there are differences in the story. Don't think it's the same. Don't let people tell you it's the same story because it's not. The feeding of 5,000, there are five fishes and no, five loaves of bread, two fishes. In the feeding of the 4,000, there are seven loaves and a, and a number of fishes. The baskets are also different. The feeding of 5,000, there's 12 left over. Feeding of the 4,000, there's seven left over. But it's the word for basket is also different, which is interesting. The basket for the disciples with the 5,000 is like a wicker basket, Kind of like this. But the one that's used in, in, in Tyre and Sidon, the Gentile area, is actually hamper. That's the word. It used hamper. They had seven hamperful. These are some big baskets. This is the same word used for Paul when he was lowered outside the window. 
When they lowered him down, they lowered him in a hamper. So this is a big basket, and that's what they filled. They had seven basketfuls of hamper size. That's a lot. Hey, why don't you take one of those home? All right, that's, that's, that's pretty good. This is a pretty good prize you get. Like, you won the trophy. Um, and so they have that, which is interesting. The Lord, and as a result, um, to the Gentile area, the result was they praised and gave glory to the God of Israel. Okay, so God, the same miracles God did in Israel, God also wanted to do in the Gentile area. There's a reason for it. It's not just a repeat story. It's just, why do they repeat? There's a reason why it's in there. God wanted to show that his, he, he not only loves those who are the Jewish people, he also loves those who are the Gentile people. He was not only coming for the one, he was coming from the other. And then we also see in Pentecost, we see the, the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit come on the Jews, right? First, tongues of fire, they speak in languages of other people that they, the other people who are visiting, it's like, hey, they're speaking my language. How do they know my language? They're Gentile. They're, they're from Galilee. They shouldn't know my language. But the Holy Spirit came upon them to show the Holy Spirit's power is for the Jews. The salvation has come to them. But then it doesn't stop there. Then it goes to Samaritans. Samaritans were the half-Jews, Right? They're half Jew, half Gentile. And it says the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke in tongues for other languages. But it didn't stop there. Then it went fully Gentile. Then the Holy Spirit came on the Gentiles that were, had no Jewish background within them. And they were able to speak in tongues um, of other languages. And it was showing, God was saying, I am the God of the Jews. I'm the God of the Samaritans, and I'm the God of the Gentiles. I'm the God of all. Salvation is for all. It's clearly the reason why this is being communicated. So don't let people say, oh, no, they're just a cop. It's a copy story. It's not. God is giving a bigger reason, something greater for this. And, and, and that's why it was necessary to talk about. So we have some material brokenness. We have feeding of 5,000, the 4,000. There's other stories on that as well. But we see Jesus' compassion the next one we see physical brokenness. And here in Matthew 20, 33 through 34. So Jesus stood still and called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, that our eyes may be open. So Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes. And immediately their eyes received sight and they followed him. So not only did was it is a material the needs that we have, also physical brokenness Jesus healed. There's two blind men calling out on the side of the road um, for Jesus to heal them, and he comes up and he says, what do you want me to do for you? We want to see Jesus. And his inner being was stirred for him. He was moved to compassion, see their heart and see where they're at. And Jesus says, I want to heal, I want to touch them. And they're touched and healed. But it's interesting for us, when you look at it, sometimes we need to ask people, what they need. Right? We don't know what's going on. I don't know about you, busy lives, right? We're all really busy running around here, there, everywhere, doing stuff. And we never stop and, I didn't know, I, you, you know, we were on the men's retreat and men were sharing stuff. I was like, I didn't know that was going on in their lives. I didn't know that was going on in their lives, right? Sometimes we need to stop and ask, hey, what's going on? How, how's it going in your life? And what, no, what's really going on? Because when you hear it, what happens? I, I, I can tell you on the men's retreat, when we heard it, what happened? Our inner being was stirred. We were stirred with compassion. And if you're saying, I don't have compassion for people right now. I don't see anything. I mean, if they need something, I'd help them. Because we don't know what's going on because we never asked. 
sees Jesus, he asks, and then his, inner, his compassion was stirred, his inner being was stirred. And so we need to find times like, hey, how's it going? What's going on in your life? Can I pray for you for something? Sometimes it's simple questions, can I pray for you for something? And the person will just share it. Now, I want to encourage you, if somebody shares that with you, to keep it confidential. I know some people uh, in churches, I've heard this, it's like a prayer service is a gossip service. We don't do that here. But other places are like, oh, Lord, play for this brother, and he's struggling. And they just lay out his sins, and they say his name and everything. And like, it's like, are you kidding me? So we can't use it as gossip. If the person shares it, you keep it confidential, you pray for them. Pray for the Lord, okay? Don't be going sharing with people. Okay, I told him not to pray. You need to pray for him too. No, the Lord, he's told you, you pray for him. Keep it to yourself. God doesn't want us gossiping about people. That's very private. And the Lord's given you the gift and the opportunity to pray for that person. What an opportunity God has given you. Use it, treasure it, and make sure daily that you're praying for that person in that. I, think, I believe God's going to stir within you compassion when you find out and hear what's going on. Other examples uh, in the same word compassion that your inner being is stirred uh, was when Jesus healed the leopard and also uh, healed the widow's son. In these two other stories, that same word, Jesus saw the need and he was stirred. His inner being was stirred to compassion. And another story that we see has the same word. It's a story you may know. I hope most of you know this. It's called The Parable of the Good Samaritan. And if you don't know it, there was a Jewish traveler that was going through, and some thieves came and they beat him up, left him half dead, stole all the stuff, and ran off. And he's just lying there. And then you have a, a priest and a Levite, different times, walk by, and you figure, oh, they're definitely going to help him. Now, these guys are like the godly ones. They're the religious ones. They're going to help him. And they just keep going right by. And they just keep going. And then you have a Samaritan, which in the Jewish culture, they were kind of rejected because they weren't fully Jew. And you see the Samaritan come by, and, and, and this is what happens. Verse, Luke 10, 33 through 34. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he set him on his animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. This is the same word. The Samaritan saw the man laying half dead, and his inner being was stirred with compassion to help. I don't know why the priest and Levite kept going, but his inner being was stirred, and he not only stopped there, he helped bandage the man's wounds. He put oil and wine, and wine is antiseptic. Oil is healing. Um, there's healing properties, like today, hey, put some Neosporin on. Um, it's the idea of that type of thing. And then the man was so beaten up, he couldn't walk, so they picked him up, he put him on his animal, donkey, and he took him to an inn, and he actually paid money for him to be taken care of for a number of days, and he said, I'll come back and check on him. And it's, see, he did all this because his inner being was stirred. The same idea of what Christ does for us, his inner being was stirred. But it was interesting, the priest and Levi, I don't know what their motivation was. Um... Maybe they're motivated, I'll be late. If I stop and help this man, uh, I'm going to be late and I have these important meetings and I have to present myself. Or maybe it was because they're, they're fancy robes and garbs and if I get it, I pick it, I might get bloody, I might get dirty and I have to uh, do this presentation. I have to speak to, what will people think of me? And I don't have a change of clothes, I can't do that. 
Maybe if I touch him and he winds up being dead, then I'm unclean, then I can't perform uh, the sacrifice or I can't go to this celebration. So I, I, I'm just going to, somebody else will get him. Somebody else will get him. And they weren't stirred. Whatever their motivation was. See, we're all motivated by different things. And different things move us. Our busyness, our selfishness, our, um, t- you know, sometimes it, it costs time and energy. And it's not easy. And there's times I blow by situations. If we're honest, I, I do too. And I blow by and not stop and not do things. And there are other times that, that, that I'm blowing by and I'm like, I can't, I can't. And the Lord starts, to, oh, the Lord's stirring my inner being. Okay, all right, and I'll come back. And it's like, oh, let me, what's going on? Other times it'll be right on the spot. God will just stir my inner being. And I'm like, okay. Sometimes I'm too distracted. I'm somewhere else. I'm dealing with other stuff. I'm busy. I'm cranky. I'm, I'm just not walking in the spirit. I'm walking in the flesh. At that moment, I just blow by. And, and, you know, the Lord wants us to have that time with him so we could hear from him, so we can be attentive when he's calling us to stop. And he wants us to stop and have compassion, let our inner being be stirred. So we talked about material brokenness. We talked about... Uh, physical brokenness. Now we're going to look at spiritual brokenness. How Jesus is attentive and he's moved with compassion because of spiritual brokenness. Here in Matthew 9, 35 through 38. It says, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness, every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers in the harvest. So we see Jesus is teaching, preaching, healing the sick. That's what he's going out. He's doing that. And then you see him. He is moved with compassion. His motivation to move from here. There's, there's a movement. There's this inner being is stirred. Why? Because he sees all the people. He sees that they're spiritually lost. They're spiritually broken. They, they don't know which way to go. They don't know who God is. They're not seeking him. They're caught in their sin. And, and they're just lost. And, and he's so moved. And he, in that he says, pray that the Lord of the harvest will send out workers. They need to hear about God. They need to hear about his restoration. They need to hear about what Jesus did on the cross. I mean, at this point, not yet. But he did, in our point in our lives, they need to hear about it. So pray the Lord raise up you guys, right, to the disciples saying, and us, that the Lord raises up for us to be stirred with inner compassion for those who don't know the Lord and those who need to be pointed to Jesus. So many times we get caught up in our busyness and we miss the people's spiritual brokenness. That a word of encouragement. Maybe you see something, you have an opportunity to, hey, can I pray for you? Maybe an opportunity to share the love of Christ. I've been through that and this is how the Lord has helped me. God gives you opportunities. And if you're not seeing them, pray that the Lord will open your eyes up to opportunities. Lord, give me opportunities. And he'll give them to you. Lord, give me the boldness and the words and the compassion to speak on your behalf in those opportunities. And he will do that. But we see that he was, Jesus had his inner being stirred for the spiritual brokenness of those around him. We also see the same uh, word, uh, 
move, uh, move with compassion idea in another story that you guys all know. It's called the prodigal son story. And those of you who don't know the prodigal son story, it goes like this. There was a father who had two sons. And one of the sons said, hey, I want all my money. I want my inheritance. So he's pretty much telling his dad, hey, dad, um, I'm done with you. Uh, um, as if you're dead to me, I just want my money and go. I'm really done with this family thing, and I just want to go. That's what he's saying without saying it. So the father gracious, I don't know how the father did it, but this is an example of God. The father graciously gives him the money. And the son goes out and spends it on whatever he wants. Parties it up, um, just spends it all. And then it runs out, and there's a huge famine in the land. And he's got to feed himself, so he hires himself to a pig farmer. And he's feeding, he's in the pig pen and feeding them pig slop. And if you've ever seen pig slop, we're, we're city folk, but if you've ever seen pig slop, it's not something yummy. It's actually really disgusting, gross. They gave him all the moldy leftovers. It's just gross. Anyway, so he's longing for that because that's how hungry he is. And he gets this idea. I remember my father, he's a good man. And his servants that he had, um, they had plenty of food. You know what? I should go back to my dad. I'll just beg him. I know he's a good man. I'll beg him. He will give me a job. And I'll just eat there. At least I'll be well-fed, taken care of. And, 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 and he's a good man. I, I think he's going to do it. So he's like, okay. So he, he gets up. He's reciting his routine. I'm going to go back to my dad. And, and this is what it says in Luke 15, uh, 20 through 21. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for the son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now is found. So the party began. So we have here the father was stirred with compassion. He saw his son from a long way off. He was waiting for him, longing for him to come back. And, and the son came back to his senses, and he was going back to the father to rehearse his thing. And we see the father run to him and wrap his arms around him and kiss him. Kiss him. He's got moved with compassion. His inner being is stirred with love for his son. The son who rejected him. The son who wanted nothing to do with him. The son that wished he was dead. And took all the money and spent it on whatever he wanted to. This same son, the father, his inner being was stirred to compassion. It's the same love that God has for us. Though we reject him, though we want to go our own way, though we spend all the things he's given us on all selfish, sinful things. When we turn to him, he runs to us and he holds us and he kisses us. And he says, quick, get a robe, put it on them. And it's talking about we, when we believe in Jesus, that's the, the covering of our sin, of our shame that he covers us. He puts sandals on your feet, restoring dignity. He put the ring of sonship. When we become a believer in Jesus, he gives us, he makes us, calls us his sons. And that's for, for women, it's also sons and daughters. The son is the idea that you are the heir. So women are included in that. And he gives us, he restores that. And let's have a party. For a son of mine was spiritually lost, and now he's found. He was spiritually dead, but now he's alive. And that's what Jesus does for us. 
And you see, the Father, his inner being, is stirred with compassion for us and our brokenness and our pain and what we're going through. And when we repent and we turn to Jesus, he's there with open arms to receive us back, to show us that love and compassion we need. And that shows us the love of the Father. The love that we need to feel and experience. What moves you? What motivates you? The same love that motivated Jesus should motivate us. This agape love, this is God's love for us, is a motivation. And not until sometimes that we understand how much he loves us can we overflow and love other people. In 1 John four nineteen, it says, We love him because he first loved us. It's interesting. How do we love Jesus? How do we love the Lord? We need to first understand how much he loved us. God demonstrated his love, but while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the example. He loved us first on the cross. Paying the penalty, the wrath of God that we deserved came upon him. Because of this love, when we reflect upon this love, we then overflow love back to the Father. Say, well, I don't feel a lot of love. I've been walking in this Christian life. I don't have a lot of love for God right now. I don't know what it is. It's just something wrong with me. When you start understanding and reflecting on how much he's done for you, and actually spend time. Go like a number of, not just like, oh, I'll spend 10 minutes, let's do this. You know, but actually a number of days and just go through. I want to focus every day on how much Jesus loved me, what he did, and go through this. It starts stirring the love for the Lord again and out of gratitude and thanks. You know, that's why a daily time with God is so important. I mean, I pound this into the teenagers when I talk to them. You need to have that time with God. You need to have that time with God every day. You need to have that time with God. You need to be alone with the Father and let him speak to you. He reminds you of his love for you, that you are really loved and you are cared for. And what happens when I understand his love, it starts to well up in me and it overflows onto others. When I understand how much he's forgiven me, I can't help it. It just starts to overflow onto others. But when I'm stuck in my own thing and I'm ignoring what God has done for me, I just kind of go on, oh no, they did this to me. Uh -uh." And I'm just grumpy and go about my own thing. But we need to have that time with God to let him speak to us. And in a... I'm going to read to you 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 15. It talks about this love of God. For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge that. If one died for all, then all died, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. It's interesting. When we understand how much that Jesus died for us, and that we don't live for ourselves for other people, the thing that motivates us when we understand that is God's love. It says, for the love of Christ compels me to live out that Christian walk. That love of Christ, which Jesus did on the cross, compels me. I can't help it. I'm an image person. You know, I like to see visual type things. So if you were to picture a giant catapult, you know, like one of those things uh, in the Middle Ages that they put a big boulder on, they go bing, and it goes whoosh, and it you know, hits into the wall, breaks a whole wall, a hole in the wall, right? So if you picture, talking about Christ's love, so this is you, this is me, right? We're sitting in the catapult, right? You're in there. You can picture yourself sitting in there. And then when we understand Christ's love, when we understand what he did for us on the cross, all of a sudden you hear ding, ding, 
And you're like, ah, right? You're flying through the air. God's, it's compelling. You can't stop. The only thing that's going to stop me, if I'm flying in a catapult, it's either a tree or a wall. It's like, it's not a happy ending or the ground. But when you, because I can't, in the middle of the air, say, okay, excuse me, I'm just going to get down. I can't do that because it's not until I hit something. And that's the idea. It's Christ's love compelling me. When I understand how much God loves me, I'm flying through the air. Woo, God loves you too. You know, I can't help it. It overflows. His love will overflow, but not until I really rest in understanding his love for me. And then those times when I'm in the spirit and I'm sensing that, I want to love other people. I want to forgive other people. It's Christ's love that compels you. It's not your own willingness. I could will it. I could force it. No, you need to rest in God's presence. You need to be alone with him. You need to spend time thanking him for all he's done for you. Spend that. That's why that time with God, when you go through the Thanksgiving time in prayer every morning, thank you, Lord, for this. 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 You're reminded of it. You need to be doing that. And then that love, that your inner being will be stirred when that happens. And you'll be flying through the air. You'll hear the ding, and you'll be going, and it'll be fun. Let's read another verse that talks about this in Ephesians 4.32. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Did you see what helps us to be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another? It says, even as God in Christ forgave you. The reason I could be kind and tenderhearted and forgiving is because I understand how much Jesus forgave me. Those are times I could do it. When I forget it, I'm not forgiving. I'm not always kind. But when I have those times I reflect upon it, I become kind and forgiving. Once again, in your time with God, that's why it's really important to have a confession time daily. Right? God, forgive me for this. Forgive me for this. Be detailed with them. Because like, man, God forgives. He forgave a lot for me. Okay, this person did nothing. I mean, if you're still like, if just the day's sin is not enough, start, make a list of all your sins you've ever done. Just start going. You're going to be there for a while. You might want to burn the list after, you know, so nobody else sees it. But, you know, like, you make the list. And then when you get to the end, you'll start being like, okay, that person was mean to me. How many people have I been mean to all my life? Oh, my goodness. I've said mean words I wish I didn't say. And... And I could forgive that person. And Jesus forgave me of all that. I could forgive that person as well. And, and, and it stirs within you. That same love will be stirred. But because we forget about God's love, we're not kind to one another, tenderhearted. We're not forgiving. We need to be reminded of how much he's forgiven me to do that. We also need to be asking prayer for God to help us in this. That's a key point. And in, uh, we see this in 1 Thessalonians 3, uh, 12. And may the Lord make your love for one another and for all people grow and overflow, just as our love for you overflows. And we could pray this for ourselves. Lord, make the, uh, my love for one another and for all people grow and overflow. Lord, may it just overflows. The love that you've given me, just may it overflow and grow to other people. May my inner being be stirred with compassion for those around me. May I have a heart, Jesus, as you have. May I live a life of thanksgiving. May I be reminded of what you did for me on the cross, that it overflows to other people. I want to challenge you this week to spend some time reflecting and deliberately reflecting on 
what Jesus did for you and allow that his love to overflow to others, that your inner being would be stirred with compassion. Pray that God would stir your inner being to see the needs of those around you and to minister, to see the material brokenness, to see the physical brokenness, to see the spiritual brokenness, to see the emotional brokenness. And Lord, that you would give me the words and the power that is only from you to minister to those around me. And the Lord will do that. Be open to him and allow him to stir and move in you. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, I praise you and I thank you. I thank you for your great love for us. Lord, I thank you that you are willing to not just stay in heaven, but you're willing to come down, to live a perfect life, to die an innocent death for us, that you're willing to take the wrath that deserved for us upon you on the cross. Lord, I thank you that you gave us the opportunity to have salvation if we believe in you. And we could be changed by you, Lord God. We are thankful for that. Lord, we ask that you would just remind us of how much you've forgiven us. That you would remind us of how much we're loved by you. Like the prodigal son story, and we're that son that spent everything. But yet you still loved us, and you still opened your arms up and received us back when we turn to you, Lord God. Lord, if there's areas in our lives that we need to surrender to you, if it's sin, if it's stubbornness, if it's whatever we're holding on to, Lord God, that we'd be able to surrender it to you, Lord. We'd be able to confess our sins to you. We'd be able to turn from that. Lord, that we would be reminded of your love, that we would then be uh, compelled to love other people because how much you loved us. Lord, we ask that you would work. Holy Spirit, have your way in us. Draw us closer to you this week. And let us go out and be your light for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.